So again, thank you very much for making it and um, happy to be here. We are starting our second season. And uh, what I wanted to talk about is preparations, let's say, uh, preparations for the retrograde. So we're going to have the retrograde, like I said, from September 9 to October 3rd. We're already in the shadow, if you haven't noticed. NASA did notice it. If you uh, were following the launch of Artemis, you know, named after the goddess of the moon, uh, the Huntress, uh, she wasn't that happy to be launched uh, during the shadow. There was some kind of leak. Then they were talking about how they're going to postpone it to maybe a few more days from now, which is getting worse because the shadow is getting darker and darker as we get closer to the Mercury retrograde. And then they decided that maybe the end of September, which is not very good news because Mercury is still going to be there, or in October, which is great news if they can do it before October 31. The reason why is because October 31 until middle of January of next year, we're going to have Mars retrograde. So we've been talking about it quite a while in the first season about how a little bit worrisome is the fact that we're going to have Mars retrograde right at the time that the U.S. is doing its midterm election. It's Mars retrograde in Gemini. Gemini are the gemelos, the twins, siblings. So it's Mars, the god of war, in between Gemini, between two sides that are equal within a side of us and also outside of us in the United States and other places. It's very much how everything is evenly divided. And that can cause a little bit of problems, especially because the midterm elections are going to fall right on the very intense uh, eclipse that we're having. So not only we have Mars uh, retrograde, uh, we're also going to have it doing uh, Scorpio. Mars is the ruler of Scorpio and the eclipse is in Scorpio. And the eclipse pushes everything that's supposed to happen faster into some kind of resolution or at least driving the car fast into either the car and the wall or uh, to its destination or both. If the destination is to crash into a wall. But anyway, we're going to have Mars retrograde, we're going to have the eclipse season in, uh, starting in late October, and we have the Mercury retrograde. And just to remind you guys, it's kind of an interesting situation that we're going to have the next new moon, of course, is going to be on um, the Rosh Hashanah, which is September 25, which is kind of interesting because it's going to be the beginning of the Jewish New Year is going to fall on a Mercury retrograde and the civil year on January 1st will also be going uh, starting on Mercury retrograde and Mars retrograde. So I can tell you quite a lot about 2023 and what it is, uh, what does it have for us in store because the Jewish New Year starts on the retrograde. The civil New Year is going to start on a retrograde, double retrograde. And actually, 2024, and now that I finished my book on 2023, and we're just formatting it now and making the cover and everything, also is going to start in uh, Mercury retrograde. So we have quite a lot of uh, years ahead of us that we have a lot of transitions. In fact, the name of the book, I think, for 2023 is basically traversing the bridge or a bridge over troubled water. Because we're going to have quite a lot of very interesting things happening in 2023. One of the biggest things that's happening uh, is that Pluto, for the first time in 250 years since the Constitution in the United States was written, since the French Revolution, is coming back to Aquarius. Pluto is power. Aquarius is the people. Uh, so we're going to have those ideas from the French Revolution, from uh, the American Constitution, coming back very strongly to the foreground. And I think it's going to be a lot of movement. That's why the subtitle of the book is the movement of the people. I think there's going to be quite a lot of movement happening in the world in 2023, 24. 
before because Pluto is such a slow planet that it takes him about a year and a half, two years to make that transition. You know, it's like living in a place for a long, long time and having quite a lot of baggage and stuff that you've collected and therefore you have to do a lot of uh, howling back and forth. Um, that's precisely what's going to happen from Pluto. For Pluto, as he's moving from Capricorn, where he's been since 2008, into Aquarius, where he's going to plan to be until 2044. So we're talking about a major transition. Of course, Pluto in Capricorn brought us that very strong tilt to the right, to conservative ideals for tradition. And now it's going to move very strongly to um, Aquarius, which has to do much more with revolution, with younger people. So um, you see that there's going to be in the next year and a half quite a lot of back and forth between Capricorn and Aquarius. Both of them are ruled by Saturn, by the way. So Saturn is kind of just jumping and hopping around from one sign to the other. And we're going to have also... The eclipses next year shifting from Taurus where they are now, helping us understand our values, our self-worth, our finance uh, in general into Aries, which is about a new beginning, a new cycle. Because remember, the North Node, South Node, where the eclipses are, are going backward. But anyway, quite a lot of interesting things in 2023, but we are not yet there. We have to finish first 2022, uh, which is not going to be uh, that easy, especially around September. Uh, September, October are kind of interesting because in September we have, like I said, the Mercury retrograde. Then in October we have the eclipses, October 25, and the uh, uh, Mars retrograde, October 31. November we're continuing the eclipses. Uh, and then towards... Um, uh, the end of the year, we again have the last three year, days of the year, we're going to have, uh, sorry, yeah, the last three days of the year, we're going to have Mercury retrograde again, following the Mars retrograde. And um, in addition, we have the square that we always talked about. We talked about it in 2020 and 21 quite a lot, the uh, Saturn-Uranus uh, squaring. Again, it's kind of interesting. Saturn is very much in the spotlight because Pluto is in Capricorn, which is ruled by Saturn. We said next year it's moving into Aquarius for the first time in 250 years. going to be there for two decades, and Aquarius is ruled by Uranus. And now Uranus and Saturn are squaring. Uranus is the, tr the, rule, the modern ruler of Aquarius. Saturn is the ruler of Capricorn and the traditional ruler of Aquarius. So we're having a fight over Aquarius. What is Aquarius? The future. So while Capricorn represents the past and wanting to hold on to the past, Aquarius is all about uh, transitioning into the future or trying to imagine the future in a sense. So what we have is very much a clash in the end of September. It's starting in September already. You're already feeling it. Uh, it's been echoing in August as well because it's such a powerful uh, square. It's not an official square because the planets, the two of them, are coming together to an almost square. I mean, it's going to be 40 minutes uh, away from each other. So it's not even a degree. It's less than a degree. It's three-quarter of a degree away from a perfect square. So unless you're a Virgo with Virgo rising and moon in Virgo, it is, for all matters, a square. And we had three of them in 2021, if you remember. Had one in uh, February, June, then another one in November, December of last year. And it was causing a lot of shakeup in 2021. And now in September, peaking in the middle of October, is another kind of square. And I've already already started noticing it in the news, at least here in the United States. But you also have it, I think, in uh, UK, for example, with the election of the next prime minister. And you have it, uh, of course... Everywhere, basically in Afghanistan, sorry, in Pakistan, they experience it with a tremendous death they had there from the 
flooding. And remember, Saturn is moving next year from March 7 into Pisces, which in one sense, it's going to create a lot of floods and a lot of icebergs breaking away, but it's also going to create a lot of droughts. Again, Saturn is focus, but also restriction. Pisces is a lot of times the rivers, the flow of water. So that's going to be in many ways, Saturnian effect is, is blocks or focus. And you know that droughts and floods come together in places that there were a lot of droughts. When it does rain, it creates a lot of floods. So Anyway, yes, it is kind of an intense period, and this September, October, November, we'll do our best here to help guide you through those dates. Uh, and what I'll try to do in this season is do it more like 45 minutes and then spend a little bit more time, unless there's something especially important happening, uh, on the week ahead so you can get more detail about how to navigate the uh, astrology of the week ahead. So let's see what we have uh, already today. Um, yeah, that Saturn-Uranus square that I told you is already starting. It's already started in the summer because it's a very slow aspect and it's guided by 2021. So we had it all in 2021. And in 2022, it's just getting to the final aspect of it uh, before they're going to unite the planets again in 2032. Uh, but until then, we are dealing with the last aspect of the waning of their cycle. And Saturn-Uranus final square is happening, peaking, like I told you, middle of October. Uh, but then towards the end of October, when Saturn goes stationary and then direct, it's going to drift away from uh, Uranus, the square from Uranus. So that's going to really be helpful. Here we see it in the United States as very much the war between boomers and millennials. Uh, John Stewart, for example, came up with the, um, a, an interesting suggestion, which I totally agree with, that there should be a draft uh, where every young person has to do one year of something, military, public work, something that uh, something so that we all feel invested in the same game because that's the part of what we've lost. That's John Stewart talking about the possibility that exists in many different countries that after you finish your school at the age of 18, you give your community one year. You can choose to go to the army, maybe to help in the hospital, maybe clean the streets, maybe plant trees, uh, whatever it is. I think it's actually a really good thing. I wish we had it in Israel we had it because we had to go to the army because of all the wars and madness there but it really did create a melting pot in a sense and a lot of people actually made their best friends my mother and father actually met uh, in their army service so it does kind of bring together different segments of society and when societies are meeting in places that otherwise they wouldn't there is much more a collaboration and there's much more understanding of each other so if we want to solve this situation of half and half or whatever it is in the existing in different societies this one year of service is definitely going to create a lot of understanding because you might look down at a certain person because of their values or what they believe in but when you actually meet them and talk to them you see that they're almost the same but they have different ideas and then you have some interaction and communication so it's not only about serving the country uh, or the uh, community it's also serving each other. So, for example, uh, as an answer to this tweet, a lot of uh, uh, millennials and a lot of uh, younger people started saying, oh, we're sick and tired of gray-haired uh, gray, uh, people telling us what we should do with our life. You don't even remember what it is to be young. Um, I'm not so sure that's true. So, But you see that in that sense, there is some kind of a clash between that Saturn-Uranus, a Uranus that wants absolute freedom. Don't tell me after the age of 18 what I, what I need to do. I don't want to do another year of service for you guys. Uh, compared to the boomers saying, well, you know, now that I'm 70 or 80, I look at my life, I think that one year of doing that service would have actually served me pretty well. 
And on the other side, we see uh, tweets like I gave you, like I gave you an example here uh, from a lady who's probably millennials, boomers melting down over how this isn't a fair, is really isn't fair, is really something. We know life isn't fair. You told us that every single day of our childhood. So I'll give you the same advice you always gave us. Get over it. And that's, of course, because of the loan forgiveness um, program that was just implemented in the United States that up until $10,000, depending on your uh, financial situation, you can be forgiven for the loans of uh, your studies or your university, which again, United States, they're really, really high. So it's interesting how every generation had something to say about the other generation. Of course, some boomers were saying, well, we paid it off. Why shouldn't you pay it off? Well, the economy was kind of different at that time. And that time, uh, every generation made more money. Now the generations make less money. So anyway, there is a discussion here between Saturn and Uranus, the conservative energy, the revolutionary energy. But it's not only between, let's say, uh, traditionalists or uh, right or left, the traditional idea of left and right. Now it's also between generations, which we always said that Uranus and Saturn can represent. Uranus are usually younger people, uh, idealistic, more rebellious, and the Saturn is more traditional conservative. We have more to lose because we've been alive for 70, 80, 90 years. So that's part of that square that you're experiencing. And again, is happening very, very close to the elections here. Uh, like I said, end of October uh, is the uh, middle of October is the peak of it, three weeks before the election. And it's getting a little bit easier in the last week of October. Uh, this is the square you can see here. You see, this is the peak of the square around October 10, 11, 12. Um, you see that Uranus here is 18 degrees, 0.5, and Saturn is 18 degrees, basically the same degree, 44. So you're talking about 40 minutes difference. It's really, you have to, like in a microscope, see that difference. The good news is that we have the North Node supported by Uranus. So Uranus is sitting next to the North Node. Remember, we talked about how in July it was picking that connection, July, October, July, August, and now they're slowly spreading apart but uh, they are still together. That means that we're downloading some good karma around October, November, activated by Saturn. So you might have, to, you, you might find yourself, what is a square? A square is that red line between the planets representing 90 degrees. And what it basically usually talks about is how you are forced into action that you would rather not take, but maybe should take. Almost like yesterday, I woke up. I didn't have a jet lag this time, thank God, but I woke up at like 7 o'clock. My first meeting was at 10, so I said, okay, I'm going to write my 2023 book, but before that, I'm going to go on a run. So I went on a run. It was kind of hot. But anyway, it is maybe an action that I didn't want to take originally because I didn't feel like running in the in the heat, but I, didn't, uh, I like doing it once I've done it. So I'm not saying that these actions that you might not want to do is a bad thing you might actually be forced to do something you don't necessarily want to do but the square will end up giving you something good because of that so saturn could be activating us to do certain things around october that you might otherwise not really want to do but it might show up as a blessing in disguise because it might activate that north node in uranus which means downloading some good karma especially around friends communities people or your digital friends um, this is really interesting um, idea. I saw this at uh, Statista, Statista, 
It's a website that's it's kind of funny because it, uh, it has a lot of very interesting statistics. Anyway, I was thinking about it just because we are now having Nep a North Node in Taurus. As you know, from December last year until July next year, we have the North Node in Taurus. Taurus is a, everything that has to do with your values and how you perceive yourself. Also, your self-worth, your self-esteem. And usually it's interesting to look at how some people that have inferior complex actually exhibit a lot of times superior complex. So people who do feel a little bit lower sometimes have to compensate it by feeling even better. So this is something interesting. They ask countries or people in countries um, so a question like uh, something like, they wanted to know if they agree or not agree with a sentence like our people are not perfect, but our culture is superior to others, which is kind of an interesting way to phrase it. But that's what they ask people all over Europe. Hey, um, can, do you agree or you disagree with a sentence like our people are not perfect, but our culture is superior to others? And when you look at the map, it's kind of interesting because... Uh, on the level of thinking that we are basically superior to other, you have 69% of Russians believing that. 89% uh, of Greek people think about that, which is kind of interesting for me because when I was in Greece, I was talking to a lot of, uh, I'm meeting a lot of Greek people and I love Greek mythology. Of course, I went the first thing before I even went to Athens, I went to the Delphi. Uh, to meet Apollo and Artemis there. So I have really high respect to the Greek tradition. I'm actually reading a book now about Alexander the Great. I love that tradition. The thing is that we have to also recognize that it's not necessarily the same people. The people that are in Greece now are not necessarily the people that lived in Greece 2,500 years ago. In fact, even their language is very different. Ancient Greece and Greek are not the same. But it's interesting that they still think that 89% at least of them think that, well, our people are not perfect, but they're superior to other people. So it's kind of interesting. I think with Greece, they're influenced from the past. But it's interesting to see that uh, Bulgaria, Romania, uh, countries that I know because I visit there and they have a very low esteem very low uh, view of themselves. They don't even support each other. Uh, I know a lot of time the issue in Bulgaria is that if there is a Bulgarian that's very successful, uh, everybody else in the world can appreciate them and lift them up. But in Bulgaria, they treat them even worse. So it's kind of interesting that of all countries, 69% of Bulgarian actually think of themselves as superior to others. You know, even though when you go there and you look at their mentality and you look what they're doing to each other, it doesn't appear like that. It's interesting that a place like Spain and France and the Netherlands and Belgium have the lowest uh, self-esteem, even uh, the Baltic states. But that could be the Baltic states could be because of what, uh, you know, the Russians did for them since uh, what was it, 1940. Uh, so that could be, you know, down there. And also it's interesting to see that Sweden, uh, with all their Vikings and all these great Viking shows that should have brought them a lot of, uh, you know, uh, like at least some kind of pride, uh, they're at 26% that think that they're superior or that their uh, culture is superior. And what you look at cultures that are around 50%, it seems like they're more kind of balanced. And then we have those countries as uh, Germany, we have it as um, Switzerland is 50% precisely, who is, uh, yeah, Finland is 49%, which is interesting. England is 46 and and also... Um, uh, Portugal is 46, uh, 47. Italy, those are countries that are much more balanced, let's say half and half. Uh, some think we're superior, some think we're inferior. It's kind of like balancing it. But again, it was interesting in the concept or in the context of uh, Taurus. 
Another thing that I was thinking today, because today I found out it's a holiday here. I never know when it's a holiday. Uh, I just came from Turkey, and it was Victory Day, and I saw flags everywhere, and I thought, well, I guess uh, they have some kind of uh, licensing of flags that are cheaper or something, but it turned out to be a holiday. Then when I was in Turkey a month and a half ago, it was also Bayram. It was a holiday. Uh, I don't know it because it, my, all my days are the same. I start at 9, I finish at 8, and in between I have readings and I write and I go to the gym. That's basically my days. Every day is the same day. Yeah, welcome to my life. So anyway, I don't really know when holidays are, and some of these people, some people have to tell me, oh, well, uh, yeah, I'll come on Monday for reading, but you know it's a holiday. So I never know it's a holiday. So anyway, I found out when I landed here that we have a holiday here now. It's Labor's Day. If anybody doesn't know, that's why um, places are closed. I found out. But anyway, I thought about it a, a little bit, about how uh, astrology, remember we talked about astrology being the mother of science and being the mother of religion, that a lot of um, religious holidays, I mean, most of them would say, and most of the religious religions that I've encountered so far, mythologies or belief systems, it's almost as if, first of all, there was the skeleton of the astrology, the full moons, the new moons, uh, the seasons, you know, the, all of this is astrology. And then came the stories on top of it to give it a certain kind of a meaning, to give it a, a, a story, basically, to the framework of the position of the earth in relation to the celestial uh, bodies, you know, our environment in a sense. So you have, for example, Easter and Passover sitting on top of the spring equinox, which is an astrological phenomenon. Or um, you have the birthday of the Buddha, the death of the Buddha and the enlightenment of the Buddha sitting on the full moon in May. Again, it's, a May, it's, a, it's an astrological phenomenon. Or if you think about the Ramadan, it's celebrated as the nine-month of the lunar calendar again the moon is astrologically based or if you think about um, christmas it's on the winter solstice that is again the beginning of winter a season that's related to astrology so it made me think about labor day and i thought well that's kind of interesting because labor day is celebrated during virgo and virgo is the sign of labor you know virgo is the sign of work of service of uh, punching your cards, of uh, the accounting. So it does make sense, even though I'm sure they didn't think about it that way, that Labor Day should be celebrated during Virgo. And then I thought, well, that's kind of interesting because I remember from one year that uh, Cat Day happens to be on August 8th, the International Cat Day, if you don't know that. So it's uh, 8th of August. It's Leo, which totally makes sense because uh, Leo is a feline and if there should be a celebration of... Uh, uh, the cat day, it should definitely be during the period of Leo, at least to remind the cats of their Leo uh, an ancestry or their Leo connection or making them feel good, making them feel like a lion. And then I thought, okay, I'll check to see when is dog day. And the international dog day is August 26, not too far from the cat day. And it's kind of interesting because it's not in Leo, it's in Virgo. And some of you might say, what is the connection? Well, Virgo is the sign of pets first of all, because originally pets were there to serve, you know, uh, whether it is to keep certain other animals away or whether it is to serve as service. I mean, service dogs are allowed even on airplanes and some trains and so forth. So when you have a dog that actually serves you, which is the original idea behind uh, dogs or behind pets, then it relates to Virgo because Virgo is all about work. And most of the dogs were trained for working purposes before they became cute and fluffy and an accessory. They were there to serve. 
you know so that idea of virgo being the ruler of pets and i just did a class on virgo a few days ago and we mentioned how there's a lot of research there coming from uh, different scientific um doctrines or different kind of uh, uh parts of science let's say from medicine from biology that you can actually see the the results of what happens or it shows the research can actually prove that having a dog having a pet really increases your health your well-being your 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 mind your body your soul i'm sure so the idea of pets being related not only because they can work but also can serve but also because they're part of your routine for example with dogs you have to get up and you have to plan your day accordingly that's all routine virgo is about schedule and routine you have to make sure that the dog doesn't stay at home more than four five six hours because otherwise you have a mess you have to clean them up and you also have to serve your dogs so dogs are serving you but you also have to learn how to serve them and again that probably not only just the going out and walking which is part of the health but also even petting or having them around you is really really important and we talked about that in the class how the you, how the world is kind of divided into tea drinkers and coffee drinkers you know people that have pc compared to people who have mac you know those divisions uh, bisexual heterosexual homosexual there is always the same kind of divisions anyway with cats and dogs i think that cats basically teach us how to give love unconditionally because they're not always receiving it as happily and dogs teach us how to receive love unconditionally so again giving and receiving it's very much about kabbalah so if you're a cut person your job in this lifetime is to learn how to give love if you are a dog person your job in life is to learn how to receive life and some of us are by. I had a dog and a cat, and they used to be together. Some of us have to learn everything, and that's why we love dogs and cats. So I made a little list from the UN um, website just to share with you. Opla. Um, no, go back. To share some of the days according to uh, their signs. So first of all, in Aries, of course, we celebrate everything that has to do with liberation. Because the idea behind the spring uh, equinox is that uh, that it is about liberation out of the winter into the spring in the northern hemisphere. And it's interesting that that also in during Aries, we have the transatlantic slave trade day. It's the commemoration in Aries, celebrated during Aries, which is kind of interesting, very close to Passover, the liberation of the slave, Easter, the liberation of our human side in order to become divine. This is the whole idea behind Aries and even in the UN that's when they decided to have a day to commemorate all the atrocities that were done in the name of slave slavery and the transatlantic slave trade routes in Taurus we have of course on May 22nd on the second day of Taurus we have the international mother earth day and Taurus is a fixed earth sign so that's kind of perfect for the earth day to be celebrated celebrated on Taurus which some people and some astrologers believe that Venus should not be the ruler of Taurus, but Earth should be the ruler of Taurus, which is kind of interesting look, and I think it's kind of right. April 30th also is the International Jazz Day, and of course, jazz is music. Music is all about Taurus. Taurus is the five senses. 
Then we move to Gemini. We have on June 3rd, the World Bicycle Day. And again, some of you know, Mercury and the ruler of Gemini. Gemini is all about movement. It's about transportation. Uh, we had a, we, last season, we talked about Netherlands and why the kids there are more happy for the last 30 years. All the research shows that the kids there are the happiest on all. And they've decided and they managed to kind of trace it down to the fact that they just ride bicycle with their parents from an early age and creates that bond. And also that it's the best form of transportation, the most uh, clean and the healthiest because you actually do something. And that is Gemini. Gemini is all about movement. It's all about vehicles. June 18 also is the International Days of uh, Countering Hate Speech, which again, speech is ruled by Mercury, the communicator. Also, the 21st of June, which is the, right the border between Gemini and Cancer, is the International Yoga Day. And it's kind of interesting because Gemini is all about connecting, putting things together. And yoga means to yoke. And it's sitting between two seasons, the season of spring in the Northern Hemisphere and the season of summer. And it's, between, and it's connected to Cancer because it's the first day of Cancer. And Cancer is the chariot, which in Kabbalah and in Vedic tradition talks about meditation. Uh, June 25 is a day of seafarers, which, of course, is very much related to cancer because cancer is a cardinal water sign. And July 11 is the World Population Day. And, of course, the world you know, population is growing because of mothers. And cancer is the sign of the womb, is the sign of the family. In Leo, we have in August 12, the International Youth Day. And as you know, Leo is the sign of the child. In August 8, we have the International Cat Day. In Virgo is loaded with holidays, I guess. Virgo is not the most popular sign, so people feel like they need to celebrate more around that time. So September 7th, the International Day of Clean Air for Blue Skies. That's, again, interesting because Virgo is all about purge, purification. Uh, then we have September 88. Sorry, September 8 is the International Literacy Day. And as you know, Virgo is also, like Gemini, ruled by Mercury. And it is about learning, you know, the inchworm, uh, the... Um, um, the idea of the inchworm counting the flowers instead, the marigolds instead of smelling them. That's a very Virgo energy. And of course, the uh, bookworm. Then we have September 17, the World Patient Safety Day. And Virgo, like we said, is the sign of health. September 18 is the International Equal Pay Day. Virgo is about work. And Labor Day weekend, of course. And in August 26, the International Dog Day. In Libra, on the 21st of September, which is right at the equinox, we have the International Day of Peace, and Libra is the sign of peace and diplomacy. Uh, in fact, the Two of Swords, uh, which is the moon in Libra in the tarot card, is called Peace. Then in Scorpio, November 5, we have the World of Tsunami Awareness Day. Well, you know, Scorpio is the sign of death and death by water, I guess. It's a water sign, Mars there, fighter, warrior. So definitely tsunami are the manifestation of the monsters of the sea. Then we have uh, the November 19, the World Toilet Day. And again, Scorpio is water, flashing it or not. And November 11 is um, Veterans Day, which is, again, Merc Scorpio is ruled by Mars, the god of war. A lot of them died. Scorpio is the sign of death. And that's why maybe it's celebrated during November 11, during Scorpio. In Sagittarius, which is the ruler of mass media, media in November 21, we have the World Television Day. 
is kind of interesting. Again, the connection to information being spread, that's very much Sagittarius. And we always celebrate Hanukkah around that time. This year is going to be December 18, which is the celebration of light. Every day of the eight days, we light one more candle, mutable fire sign, kind of like pushing the light forward in the darkest time of the year. Capricorn, of course, associated with the winter solstice is Christmas. And the seasonal affective disorder, it's the holidays of light that are supposed to bring light in the darkest time of the year. We move to Aquarius. Aquarius, on February 4, we have the International Day of Human Fraternity. And fraternity literally is one of the description of Aquarius. Aquarius is all about communities, people, equality. Then on February 13, we have the World Radio Day. If you look at the tarot card of Aquarius, it's the Lady of the Star, and she's there sitting on an antenna. It's receiving information, giving information. February 20th is the World Day of Social Justice. Again, Aquarius is all about altruism, communities, groups, nonprofit, philanthropic work, NGOs. February 11th, the International Day of Women and Girls in Science. Literally, the Six of Swords in the tarot card is Mercury in Aquarius, and it's called Science. And here we have, again, the Lady of the Star. Remember that feminine energy. And it's the Day of Women and Girls in Science. We're celebrated in Aquarius. And in Pisces, March 8th, we have the International Woman Day, which is, again, Pisces is a water sign. And it's the last sign. It's a sign of enlightenment. And when we want to attain enlightenment, we have to embrace our feminine energies. That's why even in the tarot card, the last card that represents enlightenment shows Eve dancing with the serpent that made her fall so that she can go up back to heaven. So that was just a little... um, a little trying to see how basically even civil and modern and secular holidays fall under uh, astrology, even though I don't think an astrologer sat with them and recommended the dates. Some things just happen to be spontaneously true. And then on the airplane here, I was thinking about something. I was reading a lot of the news, and it was kind of interesting because there was three or four articles that stuck out and, and made it so blunt for me, the lamentation of the past, you know, I think it's something that makes me want to puke, but I guess people have it very strongly, this kind of nostalgia to to the time when they were teenagers or the time, you know, they were younger, and that's why so many uh, coming-of-age movies are, are always there, or that's why I told you before that people are obsessed with the 80s because basically it's where the executives that are making these movies were probably that age uh, when they were younger, so that's why Stranger Things and stuff like that come up so much uh, because of the need to go back in time, to go back to a better time, but it's not a really better time, it's just the time you were younger. So I was coming from Turkey, and in Turkey there's a whole movement there that is very, very popular about how they want to go back to the Ottoman days, even though the Ottoman days sucked, unless you were in the 15th, 16th century. But in that time, it sucked to be human, even if you're in their golden age. Then Putin tells us how the fall of Soviet um, uh, empire was the worst thing that happened last century, not the Second World War, not the First World War. No, no, those are easy. It's just the fall of the Soviet empire because he wants to have his Soviet empire back. Then uh, mega um, uh, Republicans want their 50s back, right? Uh, Because that's when most of them were young and vigor. Uh, Israel, it's even worse because I was just there a few months ago, a few weeks ago, and they're plagued completely. But it is a plague 
of messianic kind of revival. So it's it's like it's not really only right wing uh, which are taking over sixty percent, sixty five percent of uh, Jewish population in Israel is very right wing now. It's also messianic. They add like some religious element to it, which is completely not uh, related usually to the right wing. But now they're like completely inside of it, and they don't even long to go back to the Ottoman like. 500 years ago or to the Soviet 100 years ago uh, or to uh, uh, 50, 60, 70 years ago because of some Republicans here. They want to go back to the second temple, the first temple. We're talking about 2,000, 3,000. So their fixation is even worse than all of that. And then I thought, where is it coming from, really? And lately I've been worried, uh, really kind of like reading a lot about uh, testosterone because for me it's one of those things to look at the molecular level of the difference between masculine and feminine because there's so much discussion now about gender and about how it is. I'm reading a book about uh, gender with um, uh, uh, premates, which I'm going to share some of uh, the highlights, I hope, in a few weeks uh, once I kind of collected my thoughts around it. And I am also read about testosterone in general. And what happened is something really interesting because, as you know, as men age, they start losing their testosterone. So their, their let's say, proportion between their, their, yeah, the proportion between their own testosterone and the estrogen is, is kind of messed around. So what's happening is that, uh, yes, women go through their um, periods of transition and transformation as they mature, uh, but the same thing happens to men. So as women get older, they lose some of their uh, and there some of their own, let's say, molecules that make them a woman, and their testosterone gets a little bit higher. And the same thing is happening with men; they lose their testosterone, so their estrogen is getting higher. So there's this kind of transition that happens between men and women. It starts around the age of forty, let's say, more pronounced, but then it gets worse and worse, or stronger and stronger at the age of fifty. I don't think it's worse; I think it's part of the plan. So women become more connected to their masculine side and men connect much more to their feminine side. It might be too late, but at least that's what's happening. It couldn't happen earlier because it would confuse the whole system, but it happens later in life. That's why men want to retire, want to work in the garden, want to stay more at home and more in the family. And women suddenly get this urge to open businesses, to go out, to do things, to be more active. Now that the the children are gone. I can return to my life. So it's kind of interesting. So I think that a lot of these uh, ideas of going back to the Ottoman, going back to the Soviet, going back to the 50s, going back to, to the, the first temple and to King David and sandals and swords, it's all really could be translated to some biological phenomena that happens to men and women. And most of them, if they're in power, they probably had quite a lot of testosterone to begin with, you know, and quite a lot of... Um, a tendency to be uh, aggressive about it. So now when they're starting to lose it, they're not really looking back to the Ottoman Empire. They just want to go back to when they were young and vigor and um, uh, their sexual peak was really high. So I think that that's where a lot of it is coming from. Anyway, uh, one of the things that also happened to me when I was in Turkey, I think a year and a half, a month and a half ago, is I had this thought about uh, an idea that I had for myself and I wanted to share it with you that every day we just focus on doing one act of kindness. It doesn't really matter what it is. Just one act of kindness. Something that is kind. You don't even have to talk about it. It's usually better if you don't. 
uh, it could be something very simple. You're really in a you're really a hurry to some kind of an appointment, but there's somebody really wanting to come in, even though there's terrible traffic, and and cut you, and you just allow them to do that. Or you heard about somebody that needs something, and you do it for them. Something small. It could be something a little bit bigger. It depends on the day. You know, every day is goes ups and downs. So it could be a big kindness or a small kindness. It doesn't matter. But if we all focus on doing one act of kindness a day, I really think that it will make not only a difference in our personal life, but also into our self-worth. Remember, we talked about the North Node being in Taurus, but also in general. And then I thought about how uh, I was teaching a class in London about the Bible and the Bible stories. We talked about Genesis. So I kind of put it all together because kindness and goodness is coming from Kabbalah in the letter Tet. Tet is one of the Hebrew alphabet. It looks like a coiled snake. It's basically a kundalini. And it represents the sign of Leo. And Leo is considered to be kindness or uh, the ability to give is very much embedded in the Leo archetype. And Leo is spirituality. So the idea of spirituality being associated with kindness, being associated with other archetypes of Leo, which is, for example, the heart, which is the spine, hence the Kundalini, which is also everything that has to do with the sun, everything that has to do with love, with happiness, with childlike, playful energy. All of these associations with Leo are also connected to the letter Tet in Hebrew, which means goodness. And in Kabbalah, they always look to see when did the letter first appear in the Bible and that or in the Torah, that will be the essence of that word. So, for example, if I'm looking at the word um, Vav, just give an example, Vav is Taurus. So, the, the third, the, one of the first times that it is mentioned, it's mentioned with the connection to addition. Because in Hebrew, ve, the prefix V or Vav, like in Turkish, for example, when you say V in Arabic as well, Wa, in Hebrew it's Vav. It's an addition. It's to put things together. So the idea behind Taurus is to put things together, the above and the below, in the sense of the tree of life. But if you look at the letter Tet, the first time it appears in the Bible is in sentence number three, when God said, it is good. You know, so God said on the third sentence, God said, let there be light. That's what I mentioned. We're going to talk about light. And there was light. And God said, God saw the light as if it's like, wow, before that, I just imagined it. Now that I see it, Wow, it's good. You know, it's almost like thinking about something, then creating it with your own hand and realizing, oh, my idea actually is really good. I thought it was just nice. But now that I look at it materialized, manifested, wow, it's good. And on the third day, God called the dry uh, land earth and the gathering together of the water he called his seas. Um, and, God, and God saw that it was good. So on Monday, there is no I, no good. So that's why some people say that you shouldn't get married on Monday. I was born on Monday. That's like a, a little disclosure here. Uh, but it says on Monday, nothing was, God didn't say anything that was good. Monday, God was kind of moody. You know, now why um, I don't like Mondays. So anyway, if you don't like Mondays, God is with you. God didn't say it was good on anything he did on Monday. But on Tuesday, he said it twice. So I guess he was feeling really down on Monday. And then on Tuesday, he compensated by feeling really good. But anyway, the idea is that if you do an act of kindness a day, you do good. It's the same way that God said it is good. 
So if God created the universe every time by saying something, doing something and then saying it was good, if you do an act of kindness every day, you know what? Only on Monday you don't have to do it if you don't want to and you want to stick to the Bible. But then on Tuesday you have to do two acts of kindness. That would be amazing. I think it will be the idea of imitatio Dei, imitating God and connecting really to the God's frame of mind. Another thing that's happening to us, September 5 to September 28, I guess it's from tomorrow, Venus is moving into Virgo. Venus was in Leo, so she was kind of bigger than life in the last few weeks. And she's going to move into Virgo, which is her sign of fall. Fall, we talked about it quite a lot here. Fall means that she's not getting the best energy, that she's feeling a little bit down. Um, she's, of course, somebody that loves to dress up. She loves to socialize. She loves to eat good food, you know, go to expensive restaurants, be very luxurious. And now suddenly she's told that from September 5 to 28, she's going to the monastery. She's going to go to uh, become a nun. So she has to dress like everybody else. She can't put on makeup. Sometimes she can't even talk. Uh, the food is very scarce. And there's a terrible... Um, schedule in the in the class on virgo i showed you an example of the routine or the schedule of a nun in the middle ages in england they wake up at two o'clock in the morning uh, to have some service then they're allowed to go back and have a little siesta before sunrise and then at sunrise they have to wake up again it's very very strict and uh, venus doesn't like that venus does not like that and she likes to socialize with the other nuns now she can't even talk but Venus in Virgo is a kind of a sexy nun because she can't really com take off completely her uh, ideal of beauty. Um, but it's not the easiest. So with the relationship September 5 to September 28, when Venus is in Virgo, it's not the easiest time uh, overall. Then, of course, uh, it's going to change. But the idea is that from September 5 to September 28, Venus is going to be partly uh, of course, from September 5 until 9, she's going to be going direct. Then at 10, at 9, 10, 11, she's going to be um, 9, 10, she's going to be stationary. And 11, she's going to start retrograding. So uh, just to pay attention, September 5 to September 28, not the easiest thing. But she's getting a mutual reception with Mercury until September 22nd. That's not too bad. Mutual reception basically means that Venus, the ruler of Libra, is in Virgo. And Mercury, the ruler of Virgo, is in Libra. They switched places. The only thing is that because Venus is fallen, she's kind of acting out a little bit. But it does connect everything it has to do with art, design, colors, beauty, justice with work, service, health, hygiene, routine. So you're trying to put, Venus is trying to put together the connection between Venus, which is art, and Virgo, which is functionality. So functional art, uh, creativity that is practical, um, work that is artistic. That's how you can put those two things together. And Venus and Mercury are going to conjunct, which is really nice, right around September 25, 26, which is the Jewish New Year, the new moon in Libra. And um, a very powerful time of putting together words, digits, uh, ideas with colors, sound, taste coming from Venus. So this is the new moon we are going to have on September 10. So on September, sorry, full moon. So what we're going to have this um, next week, I think it's on Saturday, we're going to have a full moon in in Pisces. So because the full moon is in Pisces, it is the closest full moon we have to the fall equinox in the Northern Hemisphere, which in other words is the harvest 
full moon. A very, very important full moon, perhaps one of the most important ones along the one with uh, Passover and the one of the Buddha's birthday. I think that the third most important one or, or along with them is the harvest full moon. The harvest full moon it rises very fast after sunset because of the situation of it, because of the angles uh, of the solstice, uh, of the equinox. So what happened is that people in the field used to work uh, as much as they could. Don't forget, we're talking about the harvest, or we're now ripping whatever we have sown around March, April, May, right? So you have to go back to that period April, March, April, May, see what you put in the ground, what you put in your life, what kind of relationship you started, what kind of uh, a routine began. So really try to look back at your schedule and check to see, especially around March, April, what was going on. Now you're harvesting that, you know, for good and for bad. You know, whatever a man or a woman have sown, so shall they also rip. So the same thing is happening in a, right now, in the beginning of September. And it happens to be, as you can see from Mercury, you have the big S there next to uh, Mercury. It's stationary. So it's kind of an interesting thing because you're trying to harvest something, but Mercury stationary is trying to keep it in the ground. It doesn't want it to move. So it's like harvesting, but it's very hard. It's like you're trying to weed and, uh, and the plant is broken without the root system inside. So you know that the weed is going to continue. So it's kind of interesting. We are trying to get something out of the ground, but Mercury is stuck. It's stationary. So it's going to be a kind of a challenging full moon. The only good news about it is that the moon is full on to, uh, very close to Neptune, which is very mystical. So I need to do with anything to do with intuition, meditation, uh, anything that has to do with um, yoga, dance, movement will be great. It's one of the best days for meditation because the Mercury stationary can actually get you stuck there in your meditation and 10 minutes suddenly appear like 2 minutes or 20 minutes appear like 5 minutes. So definitely try to do that. And it's a Saturday, um, that September 10 full moon. And Saturday comes from Saturn to means in Hebrew Shabtai, to mean to sit down, to kind of like do nothing. So maybe part of the harvesting is more mental or emotional or spiritual but because Neptune is on top of the moon, very good energy in connection to intuition, mysticism, meditation, and the sun opposite to Neptune, which of course happens on the full moon, it means basically that you're going to be very, very intuitive. So any kind of intuitive work would be very, very positive around that time. And there is a sextile, which is a good uh, element or good energy from the moon to Uranus which is, again, very positive for anything to do with innovation, thinking outside of the box, connecting to communities, people. So in that sense, it is working very, very well for you. Now, if you want to be more precise about where it is actually affecting you, the full moon idea is that the sun is located where you have to be active, and the moon, which is opposite, is where you have to learn to be receptive or what you're receiving in that full moon. So, for example... Uh, for Aries, what they have to be active is around they have to work, they have to focus on their health, they have to focus on their diet. If they do it, they can receive from the moon, the receptive element, things that have to do with mysticism, intuition, letting go. So the more work they do, the more intuition they will have. For Tauruses, for example, they have to be very active around their children, around pursuing happiness, around love, around creativity. If they do that, they can be receiving help from friends, from community, from their government. Gemini have to focus on putting a lot of energy on home, family. That's where you have your son. If you do that, career and success can come your way. 
if uh, for cancer, for example, you have to put your energy on writing, on business, on your relatives, on your neighbors, on your contracts, if you do that, you're going to be able to travel with your mind or physical, physical higher education, you connect to your truth. And I'm talking about this specific um, uh, September 10 full moon, right? It's not always the same. This one is like that. Uh, if you, uh, for Leo, it's putting attention more on your money, your talents, your values. And if you do that, you're going to feel a lot of passion, a lot of connection to sexuality, to intimacy. For Virgo, you have to put a lot of your energy on your body, your image, your direction in life, your health. If you do that, relationships and marriage will grow really well because you're going to receive a lot of gifts there. Uh, for um, Libra, you have to be letting go. You have to focus on mysticism, on meditation. That's things that you have to be active. And if you do that, then things around work and health and diet will give you some kind of gifts. For Scorpio, it's putting a lot of attention on your friends, or on your community, on altruism, on becoming a saint. And if you do that, you're going to have romantic love. You're going to have connection to children and you're going to have a lot of happiness. For Sagittarius, if you focus a lot on your career and success, and that's where your energy should be, then you will be able to rip or to harvest a lot of good energy around home and family. For Capricorn, it's more focused on traveling, education, being truthful, being authentic. And if you do that, your writing, your business, your relative, uh, anything to do with communication, marketing will go very well. For Aquarius, you have to put your energy on your passion, your intimacy, transformation, sexuality, magic. And if you do that, money, talents, and your values are going to become easier to connect to. And for Pisces, you have to put your energy on relationship and marriage and partnership in order to get what you need for your body, your image, and your direction. So that can help you with you're going to the field. You know, you're going to the field, so you're you're on the tractor, you're on the combine, or you're doing your movement, you're doing things, it's where it says active. What you're harvesting each sign is the receptive. That's the energy of where your moon falls uh, in this specific uh, full moon. So uh, let's see what do we have. This, um, um, this, this, this. I said it's going to be 45 minutes, and I'm going to talk more about... Uh, you see, never believe. Anyway, uh, maybe from next week it will be easier. I haven't seen you for a while, so I can't shut up. So September 4, 2022 is today, right? Yeah, today is a Monday. So um, we start with tomorrow because today is today. So tomorrow we actually have a beautiful trine between the sun and the moon, which is great because when the sun and the moon are happy, we're happy. It's almost like being kids and mother and father are having a great day and we're also having a great day with them. Also Venus and the moon are sending beautiful energy tomorrow, even though the moon, we said, is moving until the end of the month to Virgo, which is not a comfortable place for her. She's starting off. Uh, with a very good link to the moon. So women are going to have a great day tomorrow, even though it's Monday, and I told you, no, uh, it was good, but still, it's good. And you can see that we have quite a lot of planets already retrograde. Uranus is retrograde, Chiron retrograde, Jupiter retrograde, Neptune retrograde, Vesta retrograde, Saturn retrograde, Pluto retrograde. So we're kind of preparing our retrograde mode, which is going to get stronger when Mercury goes retrograde, like I said, uh, on, um, we'll get it in a second, on the 10th, on the 9th. Then uh, that day, just very practical, earthly day. So a lot of things can be actually manifest tomorrow. And the focus is health, diet, routine, paying attention to small details. Don't have to be a perfectionist, but yes, you do have to pay attention. 
What's happening slowly as we move forward this week is that there's going to be a square forming between Venus and Mars. So not only Venus is fallen, she's not happy to be in Virgo. Mars is kind of taunting her and challenging her throughout this week. So you might be more prone to anger. There could be some more fights with relationships or partnerships or people around you. So just be a little bit more aware of that. That being said, a beautiful trine is formed between Uranus, the revolutionary, anything to do with intuition, the awakener, and the sun, which is your self-expression, and your moon and your Pluto in Capricorn. So we basically have a beautiful trine happening Tuesday, which is really helpful. It's protection. It's pushing things forward. It's really, really good. The only thing is an aggression between the sun and Mars. Again, you might be called into action because of your anger. So just watch your anger, watch your, especially how you write, because Mars is in Gemini, which is the nervous system. The sun is in Virgo, which is editing criticism. You might feel that somebody is criticizing you and that causes a war, or you might criticize some and that causes some kind of conflict. So just be a little bit more careful of your inner monk or your inner nun. Uh, make sure that they're um, kind of censored. But overall, that triangle of uh, protection and triangle of flow is really beautiful and very, very positive. At the same day, even the black moon is receiving good energy from the south and the north node which means that even your enemies are not that strong. And the other thing that's happening to us now, when was it? Yeah, it's happening on September 6th, is that Minerva, the goddess of wisdom, moved from Gemini. So a lot of our messages uh, for help and for wisdom were coming from Gemini, which is more about thoughts, and it's moving now into feelings. I would suggest for everybody to start talking more with I feel in order to get your information across better, because Minerva now for a few months is going to be in cancer, which is actually wisdom coming from women, wisdom coming from mother figures, wisdom coming from family members, and people that you emotionally trust, or wisdom coming through emotional uh, reactions or through channeling uh, intuition, not so much through logic. Then on Wednesday, we have the moon moving into Aquarius, and she's going to start sending a beautiful trine to Mars, and she's changing the trines from Earth to air, which is really beautiful because on Tuesday, we have a lot of uh, practical things, the, the triangle, which are really rare. It's basically a formation of a triangle with three planets creating a perfect harmony. Um, they're moving from Earth to air. It's almost like the airplane is going up, you know, right? So Tuesday is a time to start your takeoff, and then on Wednesday, you can start flying. And that means that business, communication, networking, anything to do with new friends, a great time to do anything with technology, innovation, especially because it's before Mercury goes retrograde. So it's going to be very important the next few days to try to put as much energy as you can to it. Then we have a, on the on Thursday, it's a little bit more challenges because Venus, uh, sorry, the Moon and Saturn are conjunct, can create some problems with family members. Women who are older than us can be a little bit more challenging. Uh, somebody, we might feel dejected or we might feel rejected or self-critical around that time. So don't bother yourself emotionally too much. Also, that Uranus-Saturn uh, square is getting stronger and stronger, and now the Moon is aggravating it. So again, on Thursday... Somebody from the family could actually be a little bit more difficult or you yourself might feel some things from early childhood kind of surfacing up. Then the 
Um, Venus and Mars square is getting tighter and tighter over the weekend, but next week it's going to get worse. And we're having a little bit also of a square on Friday and Saturday between the moon and Mars. So that creates a little bit of emotional reactions. Um, emotions and actions are not very linked. So you might say, I, I love you, but not do anything for that love, you know. And also on September 9, Mars, Mercury goes stationary. So that's it. We're moving into the stationary mode. So Friday, Saturday, things are stuck. It's the worst start, the worst time to start anything new. After that, it's also not good to start something new, but you could continue something you've done in the past and didn't manage to make it happen. Or things that didn't succeed during Mercury going direct, you can try doing during Mercury retrograde, which is going to be from September 11 all the way up until October 3rd. Then on Saturday, September 10, the moon is actually touching um, Neptune, which is great for mysticism, intuition, sending beautiful energy to the black moon, meaning that if you have some people plotting against you, you might actually discover them or you might find some synchronicity that helps you overcome some enemies or intuition or dreams that can really guide you very well. And Mercury is, again, still stationary, so only next Sunday is going a retrograde, which, again, the stationary is the most difficult and challenging time. So just watch it this weekend. I mean, coming up Saturday might be a little bit tough. Sunday is getting a little bit easier. And then, yes, I just wanted to let you know that I am coming to um, New York. I'm going to be there from October 1st to 8th. So if you want to meet in person, uh, that would be great. I'm going to be there, I think, in Brooklyn. And also, I am still looking for a place to do a book signing in New York and uh a class about 2023. So if you have any ideas of where I should try, definitely let me know and I can do my first book signing for 2023. The book should be ready by then. And of course, please join me October 14 to 16. We're going to do an Omega uh, workshop on how to read your charts. And Laura Day just told me because she lives close by, she's going to actually come earlier from Italy and join us and do some uh, work with us there as well. So you're going to get the benefit of her presence and her teachings and you're going to be able to learn how to read your chart so you can start doing it for other people. Uh, Aquarius is the sign of charts and astrology and it's the sign of democracy. So everybody that wants should be able to do it. And once you get into it, it's kind of just experience and more you do it, the easier it becomes. So definitely join us. And um, soon I will make it available to pre-order the 2023. I just want to make sure the cover is ready. So, And also I posted in the beginning of the chat some workshops that I'm going to do in Circle of Wisdom, which is in Massachusetts, but it's going to be also virtual. We're going to talk about numerology and also how to connect to your power and time travel meditation, which is a new workshop that I've been doing. Thanks a lot for bearing with us today. and. Um, I'll see you next week with the help of the good Lord and the and the good lady. And I'm just going really quick if they um, cannot see you. I hope you could see me since then. Anyway, have a great time. I'm saying goodbye to everybody. And um, I will see you soon and have a beautiful, beautiful harvest full moon.